0: Marines Media.
1: Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Coming up, rampant Rangers smash five past a miserable motherwell. St. Mirren can find themselves to a fifth consecutive defeat and is the clock ticking on Scottish football's lower leagues? I'm Andrew Slabin, and joining me from The Telegraph, we've got JJ Bull and we've got Mother Senior Content Creator Laura Brannan. How are you both?
2: Hello.
0: Hi, Andrew. I can't really hear you over the jangle of my foot golf winner's medal. Don't oh, know. mate. Can you hear know. the
1: jangling? All I can hear is the jangling of the broken bones in my left foot after no, that, that footgolf incident. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, for anyone who doesn't know, me and JJ played foot golf last week. I almost broke my ankle, and JJ won. So yeah. congratulations, Jake. He fell over while playing 2v2 in the rain <laughs> anyway.
2: Is your the ankle screws. still purple, Andrew?
1: It's 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 almost black now. That lovely shade of hue. It looks like um, you rushed your ligaments or something. it's a bad one. It's anyone who's it played side knows what that feeling's like. My friend said, I've broken my ankle and that looks worse <laughs> <As it might. laughs> but anyway, um, let's talk about the Scottish Premiership. And I'm going to start with a very important question. We're now in September. We're almost at the end of September. But are Rangers going to win the league title? Oh, <laughs> they might. They're, they're playing very well, as our Celtic. The reason I ask, I mean, as much as Celtic are winning and are on better form uh, against Rangers... The the Rangers seem to just be playing a bit more attractive football, a bit more exciting football than Celtic are, particularly. But um, I, I'm I'm going to stay on the fence, JJ. But I want you to tell me what you think. Um, it, I mean, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And
0: <laughs> Celtic are getting slagged off for being useless, but they. I mean, as soon as they win their game in hand, they'll be above Rangers, and it'll be it will be tight all the way through. I, I'm not going to change what I've said all season. Celtic are probably going to win it but it's going to be really tight. Rangers are a lot better than I thought they were maybe going to be. I knew they'd be close, but uh, yeah, they look great. We should talk about them now. Yeah,
2: I mean, I mean this, this is just purely on the basis that Motherwell don't win the league, by the way.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Obviously. Well, Obviously. let's quickly move on away from that, Laura. <laughs> because <laughs> on the show, um, we're going to be speaking with the Stenhouse Muir chairman, Ian McMenemy, about the fate of clubs below the premiership. But before we get there, let's get some football chat.
3: For the rest of this month, this month being September 2020, you can take out a subscription to The Athletic for the frankly ridiculous price of just £1 a month. That's unrivaled football writing and analysis from the very best people in the business, a brand spanking new, breaking news service, and ad-free versions of each Athletic podcast, all for just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash Scottish show to get started. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, in association with Paddy Power. Here's Itten.
0: Oh, wow, what a goal! The first Rangers
4: goal for Cedric Itten. And it comes in spectacular
1: fashion. Last past Carson, and Rangers have a 4-0 lead at Fir Park. So we're going to start with... The game that you don't want to start with, Laura, which is obviously with Motherwell against Rangers. It was Motherwell 1, Rangers 5, Tavernier with a double, Etton with two goals as well. And Jordan Jones also got onto the score sheet. So Rangers were back to winning ways at Firth Park. Um, but there was a consolation goal after George Edmondson uh, scored into his own net from his heat. Uh, with his face. But, uh, yeah i know he kind of he had no idea about it but it was quite funny i do like goals like that um but what's what's gerard got right with his squad going into this game or was it just a little bit about mother will kind of feeling the effects of uh traveling uh from what was it israel they were in the midweek wasn't it a tough game wasn't it laura were you out there
2: i was out there yeah it was a it was a different experience it was it was a great experience to be honest um one that you don't normally get with a club like Motherwell so it was it was great in that sense I don't think anyone's blaming the the traveling or the European fixture in any way though in terms of um, the result against Rangers because let's face it Rangers are in the same boat they had to play on Thursday night as well and they had to travel home from away game as well so in terms of fatigue in that sense Rangers were suffering in exactly the same way so no one is blaming the European game um, for the the heavy defeat on Sunday, it's just kind of unfortunate catalogue of events. Really, it's kind of went against us um, at Fir Park on Sunday, and really just didn't turn up. It just I mean, we weren't good enough, and Rangers were just far too strong for Motherwell.
1: You say nobody's blaming the the, the travelling, but you did you did hear from Stephen Robinson, manager, say that they they, they looked tired. Um, compared to Rangers I mean is that just is that just quality showing through rather than rather than tiredness
2: I think it could be a mix of things like I mean as I say no one's blaming it um, what happened on Thursday but you've got to take into account I mean the, the boys are playing in 25 degree heat at 8, 9 o'clock at night there was like a 6 hour flight there and back so there is that element to it we also Motherwell don't have a squad to play in Europe we don't have an extensive squad where we can rotate as much as teams like Celtic and Rangers do. So you are pushing these players to play, was it was at four games in two weeks. So it's, it's a lot for these boys. Um, so there is that element to it, but we don't want to use that as an excuse. So There's definitely some part of that has crept in um, and it is taking its toll. And I dare say the international break that's coming up will be welcomed um, for the sense these boys that have been working so hard with the European games over the course of a season. If we were If we had qualified for the group stages, I dare say there would have been a lot more money thrown at the the playing side of things to get in more players so that we could have went through more, like kind of recycled the players a bit more um, in terms of changes and things like Celtic and Rangers do. But it's by no means the reason that the the team are using as an excuse for losing 5-1.
1: Well, you rightly pointed out that Rangers were in the same boat and JJ Rangers were ruthless in this game. Particularly James Tavernier, Who just seems to be I think he's having the season of his life right now He had the most shots in the game Obviously he got two penalties um, Which I think were kind of debatable But how do you sum up Rangers' performance? Uh, well I'd start by looking at uh,
0: what's Something I've noticed with uh, Motherwell's team sheet When you have it written down You have Tony Watt and Callum Lang up front So T. Watt and T. Lang Is twatting clang <laughs> That's very why I was nice. laughing earlier when we were on this Zoom call. I noticed that. I can't have never <laughs> noticed that Twatting clang. Anyway, uh, Rangers. Were t- I think they just had better players, man for man. I don't. I, I agree with what Laura's saying about recycling like players and giving them rest, but I don't think it really matters. Rangers are just a much better team, much better players. They would have beaten anyone that day, and they looked good. They had uh, their fullbacks getting really high. Bassi came in for Barisic very well on the left. Tavernier was a. Uh, Working really hard off the ball. I think he was trying to show Jones what he should be up to as the, the high press. There was a bit where he started pressing the goalkeeper in his own box and he's a right back because they're still playing a back four. And Davis has been good this season in the holding role. They just they just look really decent. They look really well organised and they've got pace where they need it and they're good combination play. Uh, yeah, They look good. Tavernier
1: seems in his life. Didn't he score like 15 penalties a couple of seasons ago? Well, yeah, he, be is, he, is, he is penalty king for Rangers. Yeah. But um, it just seems to be like he's always been a threat um, going forward. But I just it seems like a lot is clicking um, for him, um, even in open play for certain assists. And just the way so much of Rangers' play seems to be going down, you know, the left and right-hand sides. But he's the captain and he's, you know, you can't dispute the fact that why are Rangers playing so well? Why did Rangers have such a great start um, defensively and in attack? It wasn't that long ago, it was his 250th appearance for the club. So there's a lot to say about um, Ta- Tavernier's impact this season for them.
2: I would say that, um, I know we joked about it at the start of the show, about, oh, are Rangers going to win the league and stuff? And I know we were just having a laugh, but I would say of the teams that Motherwell have played, that is by far the best team that we've come up against this season. And we have been away to Celtic as well, but I feel as though Rangers didn't have to get out of gear anywhere near as much as Celtic did against this and I don't necessarily think it's a criticism on how Motherwell played in either game I think it's more in terms of how Rangers played they are just a very very good team um, every, as you're saying everything's clicking for them right now mm-hmm. and I can see them really challenging right up until at least until right at the end of the season if they're not going to win it so they're, they're so strong so yeah I, I would say it's definitely the best team that Motherwell have played against
1: yeah, really strong, especially when you see the likes of Cedric Gittin coming into the side, scoring goals now. Um, they've got more strength and depth, but they, they welcome Galatasaray, which will be a tough tie um, at Ibrox on Thursday um, in the Europa League playoffs. So if they win that, they can go through into the group stages, whereas Motherwell are going to travel to Komanic, who are also having a pretty good couple of games. Um, but we'll move on we're going to talk about Hamilton against Dundee United. It was Lawrence Shankland back in the score sheet, but it wasn't enough for United. After Hakim Adolphin scored with fifty minutes to go, uh, which got Hamilton a point. But Mickey was, was team. Well, yeah, three and five now. I think for Adolphin, and he's a centre half. Uh, I'd be pretty happy if my centre half was chipping in with as many goals. I think he's the top goal scorer now as well. Um, but Mickey Mellon was pretty bullish in the, in his post match um, interview, saying with the quality of players we have, I would back them to the hilt to put them away. Speaking of Hamilton, on another day we'll take them. Um, but if you look at the kind of the the match stats, match reports, it was twelve shots apiece, and there was only one shot, well, three shots on target. I think the Hamilton keeper only had one save to make, um, well, two if you count the goal. <laughs> but it wasn't as clean cut. Um, as Mickey Mellon's kind of making out I get why he's bullish But um, at the end of the day um, Hamilton just seemed to have this Hamilton spirit, as Brian Rice calls it Where they're just able to to, to get back into games um, But what do you think, JJ, about Hamilton's spirit? <laughs> uh,
0: well, I believe it's a spooky spirit That powers their football And this, I don't know what I'm talking about This game is a there's a lot of games that happen this weekend that basically just two teams cancelling each other out and I think this is kind of one of them. I mean, your goal... A Dolphin scoring a, from a set piece again, uh, which is the only way Hamilton seems to score now, is yeah. their centre-back goes up and, and scores it. The goal that Shankler scored is well worked, really well done with Chalmers on the right. Lotte had to work really hard to pull away from his man. But most of it is a bit of a battle in the midfield... Both teams sort of exchanging possession, no one really in control of it, any team could win it. It is a total dice roll of a match. It, yeah. I mean, that score could have been it could have been
1: anything, this one. Yeah, I agree. I think it was one of those where Hamilton definitely if they're allowed enough set pieces, they're gonna they're gonna hurt you. Um especially when you have the the ability that David Templeton has from a from a dead ball situation.
2: I, I like you... Mickey Mellon. I think he's came across well so far in like an interviews he's done. I think he the way he kind of dealt with, he was having a good j- laugh and joke about Lauren Shanklin coming back from injury. I think when he spoke about Connolly as well with the, the sighting with the SFA, I thought he was quite strong. I think he's quite straight to the point. As a, as a manager, I kind of like the way he speaks. But in terms of the actual performances, I think maybe he's kind of getting a wee bit, Can I get a wee bit of heat from the fans just now. United should have had this game wrapped up in about the first 10 minutes. Um, they just, they need to be more clinical in front of goal. I think I spoke last week about them kind of just not being sharp enough really Um, Mm. and I think it kind of showed again that there's not really that kind of creative spark once you kind of take Shankland out of the the reckoning who have they really got that's that's a game changer right now I don't think Nicky Clark's doing enough Um, I think he's been coming in for a bit of criticism and it's just kind of what looked like a kind of promising start for them the last couple of weeks it's just kind of got worse and worse and it must be a really frustrating time just now for United fans
0: Lot of problem with last with it is that last season they were better than lots of teams and now they are the same amount of goodness, or uh, or slightly worse, so they can't play in the same way. And they've got new managers, so they're playing in a different way as it is. But it's just they can't play the same way as they last year. So that is it's maybe not that they're not doing enough. They just can't. They just don't have it in them. It maybe take a while to get used to it. It's it's difficult. Like I mean, yeah. I mean, where's the creativity come from? But then I think you have to have a control of the game, and they're neither. They're not doing anything. Sp- like it's totally obvious with their the way they approach games. They're just going into it, trying to win their individual battles and win the game. And I a, think that
1: that that sums up Mickey Mellon perfectly. I mean, he's he's always been a, a manager who lets the players do the talking on the pitch. He doesn't really. He simplifies a lot of things in training And he simplifies how the game should be played And you're absolutely right JJ It is all about just winning second balls Getting it into the box And relying on quality up front That's kind of how Mickey Mellon's always set his teams out At Tramere Rovers and at Shrewsbury but it's not working out. And maybe it is that Hamilton spirit. They're always such a positive team, particularly, particularly with Brian Rice. But Hamilton take on Hibbs next at Easter Road on Friday. Um, plenty of games on Friday, actually. Uh, Dundee United are also playing that night against Livingston at Tanadice. But next up, three is a magic number for Aberdeen and Celtic. This season, the Premier League's going to be a little different. But at Paddy Power, we're trying to
0: look at the upside. Avoid unnecessary journeys That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off Self-isolate Some midfielders do that very effectively Avoid European travel Shouldn't be a problem for Everton fans When you think about it Not that much has changed really New normal Same old football Just like Paddy Power's Acker Cracker Get a free bet If one leg of your 4 plus fold Akka lets you down on all football matches And all markets Paddy Power Max free bet £10 Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg Online exclusive exclude shop bets T's and C's apply 18
3: This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Listen to it totally ad free via the Athletic. Aye,
1: two penalties from Lewis Ferguson and a goal from Marley Watkins saw Aberdeen back to winning ways at Dingwall. Ian Vigers was sent off for the hosts um, for a trip on Ross slash Rory McCrory, as we like to call him. Um, but JJ, it seems like Aberdeen have had quite a few penalties this season. Well, that's how uh, Sam Cosgrove was
0: getting most of his goals last season. The old penalty. The old penalty a That's <laughs> how you <laughs> get players forward and that's what you do. Well, I didn't mean to rhyme, but that was good. Do you hear
1: that one? <laughs> I'm a fan of your rhymes.
0: Yeah, anyway. Well, um, one thing that's gone... How Aberdeen getting so many penalties is one of the questions we've got written down here. But, so Aberdeen have gone from a team where it uh, wasn't really sure what they were trying to do for, for a while tactically... But they are now the team with the third most average possession in the league and are, I think, starting to learn how to control games. Motherwell was a bit of a blip, I think. I mean, there's that, that really poor start didn't help them at all. But this game against Ross County, the system allowed them to totally dominate the game. Ross County just barely even turned up. And there's really nice combination play. Same sort of stuff that we saw against Sporting Lisbon in the week. I've been really good in that game as well, but an early mistake, just like against Motherwell. Was how they let in that go, and had it not been for that, might have been a different outcome. I mean, they were a much better
1: team supporting Lisbon. Kind <laughs> felt like, but yeah, well, they had their full te- they had their full team out, wasn't it? We we discussed it last week. Perhaps their their team would have been affected by the amount of positive uh, coronavirus cases they had, but it was a full squad, so maybe one 0 was a decent result for Aberdeen in a way.
0: Yeah, but we're on about Ross County now,
1: though. Uh, it was Strachan well um, Sture, Sture called this their worst performance of the season um, so far it was one of
0: those where it was not only their worst performance but it was one of Aberdeen's better ones so it's one of those if a team doesn't turn up and the other team does they're going to be in trouble I mean the two penalties, Aberdeen could have scored four, five, six. they really were in total control of it uh, Middle and Ross County really caused them any hassle whatsoever and again Ross McCrory is next level like he is of a different bottle he's so good man Will they put him back in midfield rather than right back? Well, play back in midfield. It's the better... When they play Ferguson and McCrory in that midfield, it's so much better. It's more organised, more composed. And then you've got Scott Wright playing as a 10 behind... uh Hedges is playing quite far forward next to Marley Watkins. And that's working really well. And it's all combination play and rotation of positions. So like this thing. You've got players who play different places. So you, you, you can have Hayes on the left. Uh, in this game, Hedges started on the right. McGinn played up front, but then later on you can bring on different players to change it. But all the players are a lot of the players are interchangeable, it makes it quite uh, exciting, and unpredictable, which is something that we haven't really had for a
1: while. So, Laura, what does this? Where does this leave Ross County? Because they seem to start the season so well, but now it's really kind of a mixed set of results for them, Um and it's difficult for Kettlewell to lift a team when it was just such a dire performance from them at the weekend.
2: Yeah, I've, I've been quite disappointed with Ross County actually in recent weeks. They, I thought they were going to be quite a good challenge this season when the, the, the kind of campaign started, but I'm starting to think it was just maybe a kind of strong opening couple of games for them. They've won one game in seven, and that was against St Johnson. And And let's be honest, everyone's beating St Johnson right now, so it's nothing really to shout home about. They've, the game against Aberdeen, they had no shots on target. And I know, JD, you're saying it was such a good Aberdeen performance that it could just be completely unlucky that they've had a bad day. The day Aberdeen have had such a strong day, but you can't be having no shots on target. Mm-hmm. That's and the thing is, what's more concerning is they're not the only team this weekend that had no shots on target. And it's just, it's disappointing from a neutral perspective to see those games happening where there's absolutely no competition there whatsoever. <laughs> Ross County
1: travel to Ibrox. They take on League Leaders Rangers next Sunday. Uh, well, Aberdeen hosts uh, a very struggling St Mirren on Friday night. Celtic keep the pressure on Rangers after their 3-0 win over Hibs at Celtic Park. The goals keep coming for Celtic. Callum McGregor, Albion Ayeti and Mohamed el Yunusi on the score sheet this time. Celtic have been facing a lot of kind of criticism with their style of play, um, but Neil Lennon said that this was certainly the best performance of the season, and he said out of his two periods of Celtic that this is a 10 out of 10 performance and the best that he's one of the best he's witnessed. I disagree, but what do you <laughs> think?
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, it's one of their best results of the season so far. Um, I think Hibbs pretty much, if you look at all the goals they scored, for each one of them, Hibbs are totally out of shape, that they've been pulled apart by, I don't even know if it's that complicated, the passing moves they put together. But yeah, you see, you see that they're just all over the place. There's, there's no defensive shape
1: and Celtic can pass their way through. I don't know, they played well. What do you think, Slaven? The very first goal, I really think Hibbs could have defended it better because what I noticed was Hanlon actually called back Dre Wright to, to uh, pick up Scott Brown, who actually had probably one of his best games this season so far as well. But what he did in moving him out of position was um, because... Alex Gogic had already taken up another Celtic player too, I think it was Ryan Christie, that it left that gap for um for Callum McGregor to, to pick up the ball. And when he did, Dre Wright ran out to try and meet him in time, but he, he just pulled the he yeah. just pulled the trigger and it and it went in. But it that, that, that space and that gap could have been avoided if Hanlon had just picked up um, Scott Brown, who was coming into his kind of zonal, zonal position anyway. So I That's think there was moments in that first half that Hibbs were just as good as Celtic, which is why I think it was a bit strange to hear Neil Lennon come out post-match and say that it was one of the best performances in his two spells as Celtic manager. I think it's pretty bizarre. But um, nonetheless, Celtic seem to be playing... Celtic seem to, this season, be playing a, a brand of football that isn't so easy on the eye, um, but they keep winning matches. But there was an impressive performance from David Turnbull. Laura, who you know very well from Motherwell, came into this game in the second half to replace uh, Christie, and looked like he's um, he could step into Celtic and, and really make his mark.
2: Enter David Turnbull's cheerleader. That's how, <laughs> that's how I have been in the last few months. Well, you um, did no, make that,
1: that, that really good documentary on him.
2: Yeah, I feel like he's kind of like my wee boy in a way. Just like can of let him flee <laughs> the nest, and I'm still kind of looking out for him, and proud of his performance. <laughs> yeah, so that's what it feels like. It's ridiculous. It's title it's of the at-
1: podcast: David Turnbull, <laughs> My Wee Boy, E H O Y.
2: That's what it feels like to be a mum. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what no, do you think? Not- are you surprised that that the, the he's came in and looked like he was, you know, a ready-made first eleven player for Celtic?
2: No, not, not at all surprised. Um, I did see a kind of funny um, tweet from SPFL Simpsons joking about um, freezing him so future managers can make the most of him in years to come. Uh, that was obviously before he came on at half time. Um, he's kind of had to be patient the last few weeks, but I think with Ryan Christie going off injured, he came on and it's, it's the perfect chance for him really to step in and Make a mark when something like that does happen, and he looked like he was not one bit out of place either. His his technique was there for all to see. Um, I mean, he's he's a class above most in the the SPFL. So to see him slotting straight into that that side, it's it's pleasing to see. Um, he's he's going to be a superstar. I mean, I've said it several several times. He's he's in for a, a massive future, big, way bigger than Celtic. Um, this is just the start for him. Um. He set up El for the goal, um, and he also done effort himself from about thirty yards out, which would have been a screamer if it had gone in. It was very impressive, so not bad for his first forty-five minutes. I think um, I know he's came on in the past for kind of a odd minute here and there, but to kind of get that run, um, no, I'm 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 pleased for him. I think he's going to continue to make a mark, and you never know, Scotland squads in the future is coming up. It's, it's <laughs> coming up. Keep your eyes out. <laughs>
1: Laura, you also said that you know um, quite a few teams that didn't register a shot on target. Hibs were one of those, but I actually thought they were they were quite dangerous against Celtic in that first half. JJ, do you think it's one of these games where Hibs can just test themselves against another another side? I know they came up against Rangers last week and were pretty good up against them uh, with a two two draw. But is this one where they can still come out of the game with plenty of positives? Uh, I mean. Purely in that first first half yeah. performance.
0: Well, yeah, but I mean, the first half you've got more energy and you go into it and you're not losing, so you've got that sort of hope about you that it's not going to end the way you know it's going to end. And they they matched up, so they matched them up to. Uh, what am I trying to say here? So, like in terms of their their system, they pretty much went man to man. So they're both playing five three two, and we know that Celtic are playing five three two this season because Lennon loves five like, two. Well. I say Hibs were five. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the system 5 through 2 3 not 2 the numbers don't matter. It's They've got three centre-backs, they've got two wide players, they've got three midfielders and the whole point is trying to block each other out. And like you were saying, the whole point with Dre Wright being pulled out for that one bit is if the three's not blocking exactly the space in the middle because the, th- the back is meant to, and the three in the middle and the two up front is meant to show play wide so that you can then shift over and get the crosses in the way. And then... Uh, they were just left open a couple of times later on that's how they, they conceded their goals they were fine I, don't, I mean you can get points of Celtic if you're very lucky and they're not playing very well and you're Livingston there's not much you can do like Celtic don't lose games right? Well, they conceded five goals all season they won't concede many more <laughs> for the whole season Hibs can be pleased with what they were doing they've been fine this year they're coming together it's work in progress they're going to be top five top four
1: yeah uh, obviously a few more th- good things for Celtic With Lee Griffiths back in the squad Didn't come on though, he was on the bench Eduard did after a Yeti. Uh Got injured, I think his hamstring um, After he scored his goal I- I'm really impressed with a Yeti since he's came in I know he hasn't played a lot of football But Celtic are going to be looking for a place In the Europa League group stages They travel to FK Sarajevo on Thursday And Hibernian host Hamilton Scott Tiffany and Alan Forrest scored within a minute of each other as Livingston sought off St Johnston 2-0 at the Tony Macaroni, still the best stadium name in the SPFL. St Johnston just cannot, cannot score a goal. Um, And they come up against Celtic, who I don't think they've scored against in about 10 games. (laughs) So I don't know where where St Johnston are going to find their goals because Stevie May and uh, Callum Hendry just cannot get it on target even at the moment. Um, but what did you guys think of this game?
2: It's not looking good for St. Johnson just now, is it? It's, I mean, what is it? Two really wins bad. all season. Um, it's it's not. I, th- I think the fans are kind of losing patience for Calum Davidson a wee bit. <laughs> and I know it's still early stages in the season, but it's it's not even like it looks like the tides turning for them. It's. I mean, mm. they they have kind of relegation battle written all over them this season. It's a frustrating time for the St. Johnson fans, I think. But good, it's good wins for though, good
1: Sorry, Laura. I was going to say, no, no. it's hard, though, because St Johnston have made bad starts in the past and then they come through it. But this is with a brand-new manager, of course. We don't know what to expect.
2: Yeah, it's the thing. It's not like with Tommy Wright where you kind of knew things were going to come together at some stage for a, a, a spell, for a run, but with Callum Davison, you just didn't really know, kind of know what, what you're getting with him in that sense. I know he's obviously been involved behind the scenes before, but to actually step up to the managerial role... Um, just not quite cutting it yet, though. Um, good, f- good one for Livy, though. Um, I think I actually predicted this one in the fantasy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alan Forrest has been really impressive, I think, so far. I really kind of like the look of him from what I've seen. Um, Absolutely, yeah, took energy. his well. Absolutely spit every image of his brother. By the way, see when you see him from a distance when he's running and he's celebrating, and it's just like what?
1: Does he this run the like same mini, way as James? Forrest? i I've,
2: I've not seen him. I've not kind of inspected the way he runs like down the wing, the way that James runs kind of with no neck. But the best way, yeah, um, the best
1: way I've heard uh, explained is when like you've you've left your coat hanger on your t shirt <laughs> and you're running. <laughs> that was the best uh, explanation for me. It uh, was a I celebration.
2: it was a celebration from this game when I think it was a camera one angle from the main stand, and it it just it was so far away that if you told me that was James Forrest in a Levy top, I would completely <laughs> believed you. <laughs> I liked the picture of the other week. Yeah, I know we're kind of going off topic, but it was when um, Alan and James both came on as a sub when Celtic were playing Levy. Ah, yeah. So last weekend, um, oh, and it? it it was just a really good picture of them both kind of lining up at the same time to come on. I thought that was kind of an angle you don't really normally see in football, mm. the timing of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this this was a, a big result for Livingston because it took them off the bottom of the, of the table um, and now they, they go to face Dundee United who have been struggling for goals themselves whereas Livingston have been scoring. They've just been letting in plenty. Um, so it could be an interesting couple of games for Livingston to maybe try and prop themselves up the table. It's not going well for St Mirren either. That still no win for five games now after Nicky Kabamba scored the only goal of the game for Kilmarnock. Kabanga. Um, Caban- <laughs> Kabanga Kabanga <laughs> it's such a good name uh, look, Kabamba just seems to be on a little bit of a good run of form as well I recently called up to the Demo- Democratic Republic of Congo which is always easy to say I think um, but it seems like he's been a huge focal point for Kermanek, um going forward JJ yes well he's their focal point as the striker in their team
0: uh, I think the the St Mirren versus Kelly, there was nothing really to pull these two two teams apart whatsoever. Uh, the, the ball was getting mashed into the middle of the pitch, bounced around, went back. That's how Kilmarnock scored their goal. Uh, your pal Yak Anwick launched it. It got it bounced about a bit. A one two in the wing, and then Kabamba beats his man to the near post. <laughs> so Jim Goodwin goes nuts at his players as soon as the goal goes in, and I'm trying to work out what they could have done better. And there's little pointers you could say with the defenders, like the centre back should have been ahead of Kabamba or the shouldn't have been taken out with a 1-2 in the wing. But it's just the kind of thing that happens now and again when all you're doing is bouncing the ball in the middle of the pitch. It, there's really yeah. no no clear identity to either of those teams in that game because they're so kind of similar. But St Mirren, the problem they've got again is that they're creating chances, but they're not scoring. And that, that, like the XG again in this game is their, the problem all of last season, all of this season. XG is 1.4 to St Mirren to 0.7 to Kilmarnock. Mm-hmm. So... Again, it doesn't. that's not necessarily how the game should go, and we understand XG, is how you read it, and football's an unpredictable game, so you can't rely on this. But the underlying stats for St. Midland say that they do not score their goals. Even with my boy, John Obika up front, they don't take their chances, and they let in too many when they shouldn't. These are the right. sorts of games that, because they're so even, but again, it's another one, like the one we were talking about earlier, on, I can't remember who it was, because it's so interchangeable. This could be a draw, a win, whoever. They played this game and another nine times. It'll be a different score each time. They're just so evenly matched, and that's why the bottom of the tables—it's hard to call. But it sort of makes it exciting, but also not. If you see if that makes sense, it's a uh, very unpredictable, but it's not great.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, like the the, the problems for Saint Mirren last season were scoring goals. And and it's just continued into into this campaign. The the problem is that they brought in Christian Dennis from Knotts County, who I think has got like a hundred goals in his career so far, and he's scored plenty in League One. But the, the he's injured at the moment. Obika was always the best striking uh, forward for them, but he didn't start in this game. And there's this continuing kind of belief from Jim Goodwin that Junior Morais maybe is you know a, a good player. <laughs> But we got Lee, Lee Irwin, he's, he's, he's decent. Well, Lee Irwin who is a good player but if, if anything he has to get Dennis back And the, the amount there's not a lack of service in the forward areas for St Mirren they just don't have that out and out goal scorer I think if Dennis can come back and get a good run of games and become sharp then, then he can be he can be good for St Mirren, but Junior Moraes, I think he's only scored two goals in over thirty games for St Mirren. But there's this—I know he's quick and he's pacey, but he's—he's not—he's not a good finisher. Um, and I just think St Mirren really have to do do more in that respect, just like St Johnston have to too.
2: St Mirren have brought in like good defensive players as well, though. I mean, they've always got uh, Jack Halenick, They've got—they've brought in Richard T, Marcus Fraser. These are players that know the Premiership well. They're, they're experienced Premiership boys. Um, so they, they should be kinda of, I mean, I know Jim Goodwin did say he's got like a lot of belief in the the, the team he's put together. he should mm-hmm. do, considering the names he's brought in. But my god, this game was rubbish on Saturday. <laughs> I mean this was another it's a team that didn't register a single shot on target. It's just it was not, not a good game. I J you're talking about how it's unpredictable and I really wish it had been a kinda of, a more exciting unpredictable game. But I, I mean, I, I went out uh, a cycle in this during the second half, and I normally listen to sports sound while I'm out a cycle on my my Saturdays off, and I I I had to put it off. I, it, just, like, it wasn't motivating enough for me, so I had to put it off and put it back on for the, the kind of last ten minutes and listen to the end of the games. But I hadn't missed a thing. That's the way it turned out. There was one good save. Um, and that was it There was nothing else the, the, the guys that were there Covering the game Were saying it themselves They so were going This is just not Not a good game not, That's just not because the
0: way The teams are set up Like They're set up They're just bouncing In the middle of the pitch Both are Like Kamara and aren't, aren't pressing high They're sitting off them So Mirren doing Exactly the same thing They're encouraging the other To open up So they can play through them They can't So cannot play out From the back They tried it And there's awful passes Going in So then they start Hoofing it and a few passes go around, they can't get near, the commander's sat deep, so it goes back to the keeper who launches it, bounces around again. It's, just, it's boring to watch.
2: Yeah, and that's the problem when teams that are so evenly placed come up against each other. It's yeah. like a fear to, kind of, to go out and really try and take control of the game because... I don't know if it's a
0: fear, I don't think they have the ability because they're so evenly matched and there's no one who can really make a huge difference in there. And you can try different systems to try and get around it, but they're both trying to be hard to break down and just
1: win your second ball, and whoever wants it more will win. It's well, I think the thing, you're right, JJ. Because the point the point is that Kilmarnock still have genuinely good good quality players. Like Chris Bark showed that um, with his delivery into the box, and that is sometimes all you need to win a game is just one good bit of quality, and that's what proved. Um, and that, that kind of rounds up the weekend. Um, we're going to be speaking to stenhouse Muir Chairman next, Ian McMenemy, that's his name, um, about the security of clubs and the fact that no fans are going to be coming back anytime soon.
3: You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Media and the Athletic.
1: Just before we get there though. A little bit of time to get some odds, courtesy of Paddy Power, spoken by the wonderful producer Abby. We're going to be talking about Scotland shortly. Um, So who did Paddy Power expect to come up trumps, Scotland or Israel?
3: Well, they actually have Scotland as the favourites in this one, you'll be glad to hear. Scotland are 10 to 11 to beat Israel, Israel 3 to 1 and the draw is 12 to 5.
1: I am. Delighted about that. Um, the Europa League is back. No wins for Aberdeen or Motherwell, so the hopes kind of lie with Celtic and Rangers. How well can they do? Will they qualify for the group stages?
3: Well, the uh, odds certainly suggest that Celtic will be. They are one to four to beat Sarajevo. Sarajevo eight to one, and the draw is four to one. As for Rangers, uh, they are eleven to ten to win, and Galatasaray eleven to five, which means Rangers are the favourites in this one. Which I don't know about you, but that gave me a bit of a surprise. Hmm,
1: that's interesting. Um, and what about the top six odds for the Premiership? Quite early to call, but what are Paddy Power saying?
3: Well, we've been looking at this a little bit, and uh, of course Celtic Rangers not involved in the uh, odds uh, in the betting on this one. Aberdeen are one to twenty. Hibernian are one to twelve, and Dundee United is still up there as the third favourites in this uh, in this odds. They are ten to eleven to finish in the top top six, and Kilmarnock round it off for uh, evens. Motherwell dropping down to eleven to ten
1: well there you go thank you Abby you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app prices are accurate at the time of recording it's over 18s only T's and C's apply and when the fun stops stop There's no escaping the top story this week after last week's show Nicholas Sturgeon alongside Boris Johnson announced that pilot fixtures to get fans back into grounds will not be happening and may not happen for up to six months. So here to help us understand the impact of this and what the state of play is for smaller clubs we've got Stenhouse Muir chairman Ian McMenemy. Hi Ian, how are you and how are Stenhouse Muir doing right now?
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm good, uh, all things considered, I suppose, in the world of, of football. Um, and that's probably the same answer for Stenhouse Muir. Um, <laughs> all good, um, as much as possible. Just uh, still sitting, waiting to hear what decision comes out today, tomorrow, next week, because it influences so much of what's going on. So the uncertainty we've had since since March, in many ways, is still there. But uh, apart from that, we're, uh, we're ploughing on, just waiting to get the game back.
1: I've heard from um, from a few chairmen, particularly down south in England, where when the news came out that all of these restrictions and when it came to sporting events, no fans, and it could be potentially for six months, it took them by a huge surprise. What was your immediate reaction?
4: It was almost... Um I felt it was a bit of inevitability to the decision. I think it was pushing in that direction. Now we saw the figures start to change, the the R number that we've been schooled what it actually means and how it impacts decisions. We knew that was being altered, so I think the direction of travel was quite clear. But it was nonetheless disappointing because we we have been been planning for some time that there would be a natural progression of things in terms of the the testing, how much you'd have to do in terms of testing and then small scale events letting fans back in. So we felt that would be the progression and when it was confirmed more or less that that's probably it for the foreseeable future, it was quite devastating to be honest.
0: If if test events have done quite well so far, what's holding it back from been doing more of them? I know, obviously, there's our number going up and things, but if they know they can be safe, is there not a, a way they could do more of them? Is it? How do you take that as a chairman?
4: Yeah, I mean, I find it a little bit hard to take, um, because um, I did a bit the other night on on um, BBC News uh, TV at night, and I... They put out the, the, the kind of footage from it where I'd said I didn't think there was a lot of science behind the reasons. And, of course, the first couple of tweets came back with people trying to accuse me of being a science denier or something like that. <laughs> but it's not in the slightest, not what I was saying. What, what The point I was really making was, right now, despite all the changes that have come in place, and despite the news that we can't have fans back anytime soon, despite that, under the rules, and it's on the Scottish Government's page, you're still allowed to have outdoor live events for up to 200 people that's still taking place right now so if it's a pop concert or something else that can happen right now so we have the strange situation where Cowden Beef you know who are are known for having stock cars as well as a football pitch in their ground you know people could go and watch stock cars on a Saturday morning 200 of them sitting in the same seats in the stadium and then the minute the football players come out somehow that's unsafe. You can't stand in the stadium or sit in the stadium anymore. So I just can't understand the science behind sorts of decisions like that. So I think the problem is they've they've lumped certain sports together, football and rugby have been lumped together. And perhaps maybe we you know, it's our own fault for going in as early as we as we did to try and, you know, negotiate with government uh, sooner to try and get the game opened up. But I think they're treating all clubs as though we're 45,000-seater you know, stadiums uh, with all the issues that would be on public transport and queuing to get into turnstiles and just the, the, the sea of people that can be on a street going back and forth. So I think they're thinking maybe that's the case. Maybe there's a bit kind of a needing to kind of recheck in terms of the different sizes, different divisions would maybe make a bit of a difference.
2: Do you think that the SPFL and the SFA are doing enough to fight the corner of Scottish football against the government just now? Um,
4: If you asked me that a week ago, I probably would have said absolutely no straight away. Um, But in, in, in the last week, I'm certainly more aware of what they've been doing over the last week in terms of trying to speak to government to try and see if they can either access funding, perhaps through the, the, the UK government, what they've, they've promised, um, but also in some of the other discussions they've had. So they have had some discussions, but I definitely, overall, I, I think there's been a, a lack of direction from the, the football authorities at every every stage, every step of the way, even in terms of all the various documents we've had to provide to get going again. You know, we you know really thick documents that, that were you know, returned to, to training, and then there was return to training with contact Then there was return to training with contact leading to phase four. And now we're on return to play. And every club has went off and and did their own guide when I'm thinking surely lots of things in there would be fairly standard. Just tell us what what standards we have to meet. And if we can meet them, then we can confirm that. And if we can't meet them, then we need to find out what we can do to to make the the, the standards. But it just seemed to be that we've all had to go through a, a very long process ourselves. So I think in a number of ways, I think we could have had better support from our authorities.
1: We've heard down in England, uh, particularly that Premier League clubs might be helping um, clubs in the lower divisions in England, um, and and there's there's talk of a potential financial package from the government um, to help clubs in in the National League level um, in tiers five and six. Have you heard anything similar um, happening up in Scotland at all?
4: Yeah, I and mean, on on the first part, um, <laughs> I can't see any. Uh premiership clubs particularly dipping their hands into their pocket but I mean I say that and I know that Ross County actually offered to cover the cost of um, a couple of the smaller clubs that were in their division in the Betfred Cup which was a fantastic gesture but I know historically um, in terms of any sort of help uh, in changing the way the funds are distributed within the league you know, I, I was fighting for that back in, in March when this all happened that we need to perhaps just treat this as something different and it, it, it fell on, on deaf ears and even the money that came from the benefactor that stepped forward he offered £50,000 to all clubs um, we hoped maybe one or two clubs who that, that didn't mean that much to them at the top of the the, the, the tables would maybe say well okay uh, we'll let that go back into lower clubs but they didn't a lot of them took that money and then gave it away to charity which was a, a, an odd thing to do but um, I don't think the money will come from there whether or not money comes from government I don't think Scottish Government holds Scottish football in very high regard, to be honest. And I, I think that's Scottish football's problem. They just haven't engaged. And when they have engaged, it's been hostile and it's been pointing the finger at Scottish Government, asking them for, for, for to do things, sort out you know, fan behaviour issues and things like that, rather than Scottish football getting its own house in order. So I don't think the stock is particularly good there. So perhaps there's maybe more of a chance of it coming from the, from the, the Westminster Government. Um, and I, I, I do hear... Um, how much substance there is to this or not. But I did hear just today that maybe something this week there will be some sort of news or decision coming out of Westminster on whether or not there will be funding available and how that might be distributed, if at all, uh, available. So maybe we'll know in a few days just what might be there for football.
2: That'd be be good if the Scottish Government was to help us out as well in that sense. Um, Ian, just to take away from the the money side I think, just now... um, see in terms of testing we're seeing premiership teams just now obviously going through a strict testing regime once a week but the lower leagues it's not mandatory um what's your take on that do you think it should be
4: Uh, i don't um it's it's now the premiership clubs that are out of step now with everybody else with, with society And they they wanted to go early. They wanted to go when science was telling the the country, you're in lockdown, you can't go out and do anything. And football wanted to go early. So they came up with a plan that would allow them to do that. And that was the twice-a-week testing. So that's the price they had to pay for getting going again. We talked about it in the lower divisions. And we felt just... Couldn't afford the cost to that, um, and we weren't quite sure if it was going to be sustainable or not in terms of where the whole virus was going to go. So, we made the decision not to do that. We made the decision to wait uh, until the Scottish Government said, Okay, that's that contact sport is now back. And about three or four weeks ago, the Government did just that. They came forward and said, Okay, um, organised sport can now resume. Um, it can now be full contact you can now be coached up to 30 people on on, on the same pitch as long as it's outdoors uh, with certain certain standards and guidance in place so we unlocked with the rest of society so really the premiership teams now don't have to test but they're choosing to do so because they see that as a bit of an added safety net so I say it's us now that's, that's, that's in step with everybody else so I think to try and put testing in would be, would be an odd thing to do because it would go against the, the, the rest of, of sport where I do think there was a conflict was when teams that aren't testing are coming up against a team that was testing and I did raise this a number of weeks ago as being two bubbles that would potentially collide they've fixed that and and i think they've done a good job of fixing it they've now said that lower league clubs if you do come up against a team that's that's testing then the lower league club will have to test at their own expense and I fully accept that because I accept that the Premiership clubs are in a different bubble. So we've got no issues with when we do play in the Betfred Cup. We've got Livingston coming up uh, in November, um, and we'll be testing in, into the same standards at Livingston. Livingston tested when it comes to that, so I've got no problems with that. But I don't see the need to overall, uh, unless Scottish government changes its position. I don't see a need for lower league clubs to test. Do you or would you say it's inevitable that we'll lose clubs because of lockdown? Um, I would say it's a very good chance we will. Um, I know speaking to clubs back in, in, in March when this all happened, um, there was clubs that had very little money then because of course we we're getting towards the end of the season um, and you know you spend money throughout your season. Quite often your sponsorship money will come in at the start and you know you can spend that as you go through the season. Then you hit the, the end of the season, then you rebuild for the, the next season. Well, of course, we hit the end of the season and there was no real chance to rebuild financially. We haven't really been in that position. So finances weren't great in March and haven't been great since. Um, we're now quite sure we're going into the season without supporters Um, and I had a good analogy of that somebody said it's like saying to the pubs okay you're you're free to open up now but you just can't have any customers in Um, how sustainable a model is that for a pub so how sustainable is that for football Um, we've been told okay yeah, you can now play again but you can't have any of your customers in through the gate so it's going to be very very difficult and I think it will potentially you know put some put some clubs over the edge Um, and that would be horrible that'd be a terrible you know thing to happen that we've got so far. And we've managed to, to really fight the tide as, as right through this whole period. We've done some pretty you know, interesting things um, in terms of uh, new deals with players and new contracts. And we've went out there trying to find new ways of making money, like live streaming and all these things we've tried to put in place. So we haven't just sat on our laurels and let things happen to us. We've tried to innovate. We've tried to go off and find new things to do. So it would be pretty devastating if at the end of that we somehow get a, another kick and we uh, lose a couple of our fellow clubs.
1: Thanks for being so honest Ian Um, I really hope that we can get all clubs um, at all levels back competing again and and especially yourselves but um, thanks a lot for joining us uh, and hope to speak to you sometime soon At
4: any time
1: thanks for having me on Ian McMenemy there Stenhouse Muir Chairman Laura what's the word been around Motherwell and and what they're doing at the moment Um, obviously I know they've got a streaming service but just what is the impact of of not having even three hundred fans in the ground?
2: No, oh, just the thought of even having three hundred just now would be an absolute luxury. Um, oh I mean, what are we missing? I mean, we're missing the the, the atmosphere for start, the tempo of the, the game, the, the money as well is is massive. I mean, you look at the our game on Sunday against Rangers. Um, now I don't know money to the penny but I can talk in ballpark. Um, In terms of the away crowd that we would have let in it's it's obviously one of our biggest ones of the entire season is obviously when Celtic Rangers come, we've got a a stand of 4000 for the away end and we would have made around the £100,000 mark in terms of away tickets uh, alone being sold. So obviously that's that's a massive payday that we've missed out on and just just. Coincidentally, we've also missed out on the money in terms of, normally we, we've got a streaming service, like most teams in the, the Premiership, and we weren't able to stream this one to our pay-per-view audience yesterday because it was a Sky game. So again, it's it's obviously nowhere near in terms of in money of um, fans coming into the grounds, but every little bit counts. So that's still a large chunk that we we also missed out on in that sense. Um, so it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's punishing us in that sense. Um, even if we were to get, I mean, you're looking at, I think a lot of this, the, the argument for getting fans back in, as Ian was talking about, is they're they're clumping everyone together. And I think a lot of people are just seeing Celtic and Rangers and going, that's a full stadium. That's 50,000, that's 60,000 people. How do we cope with that? But when you look at the, the smaller teams that don't bring in sell-out crowds week in, week out, it's, it's a lot more possible for us to to bring in a lot, like most of our season tickets. I mean, if you look at our, we've got around four thousand season ticket holders, and our stadium holds fourteen thousand people. And obviously, in the early days of letting fans back in, they're not going to have away crowds, so we would get to make use of our biggest stand, which is the away end. As I say, it holds four thousand alone. So, if even the government allowed us to have thirty percent capacity, we would be able to get in all our season ticket holders, which would be massive for us.
1: Do you, think, do you think there's a perception from the government that they just don't trust football fans?
2: There's, there's definitely issues there um, where we're... Kind of, I think I'm not the only one that's ever said that we're treated differently to, to the likes of rugby fans, for example. Um, I think you only have to look at the kind of alcoholic games argument for that one. But um, I feel as though we're kind of last in line just now there's been a lot of talk of, you know, well, how come we can go to restaurants and pubs and cinemas? And I, I'm very much not of the, the argument of, well, that shouldn't be happening. I, I very much agree that that should be happening right now, but I don't see why we're not counted in, in a similar sense. We're an entertainment industry, yes, but we're also one of the, the biggest industries in terms of, of making money in the whole of Scotland. Um, it's, it's not just an entertainment business, it's, a, it's an industry industry where it has thousands and thousands of people that rely on this for their jobs. So it should be taken a a, a lot more seriously in terms of of bringing fans back in, I think. I think Ian made a very good point of you wouldn't open up a restaurant and make food and not have people come and sit down and eat the food. (laughs) You wouldn't have customers. So why is it not similar for football? Why are we playing football and not allowing anyone to be in? When it's an outdoor environment, which is a lot safer than indoors, everyone is is willing to wear masks and it's going to be so heavily policed I mean we talked about it last week about uh, well, the week before about the Aberdeen test event it, it looked brutal it looked horribly policed and in, in the sense of it killed the atmosphere but at the same time it's a start and I think we're all willing to just kind of get this ball rolling and if it has to be a kind of a horrible first kind of few games or first few weeks or months or whatever but as long as it just gets started everyone just wants to kind of get to the next step now every other industry is getting to the next step why is, why is football not the same
1: Well said Laura we'll, we'll keep eyes on this and hopefully things can change very very soon So our very good manager Steve Clark had set to name his very good Scotland squad at 2.30pm on Tuesday um, and this is a bit of a kind of funny one. I noticed it in the week, but have you guys seen this? That FIFA have changed the rules on um, on eligibility for for performing for your national team. No. So I read, yeah. So, <laughs> so you I just read told us FIFA, up here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the FIFA Congress uh, met. Last week and voted to pass a rule change regarding eligibility for national teams, and the biggest change was that players are no longer tied to a national team on the basis of a single appearance when they were younger. I think it's like up to the age of 21, so you can switch national teams provided them that you are that you are eligible to represent a second country at the time they first played for their first country. Still with me? Even if they played in an official competition for the first. Uh, nation. So this this applies um, as long as they have played no more than three matches, which includes friendlies. None of the matches were in the final tournament of the FIFA World Cup or Confederation competition, and all and they all happened before the player turned twenty one. Yeah. So there you go. Possibly might open the doors for a few un- other players for Scotland.
2: No, <laughs> you
1: don't sound like a fan, Laura.
2: This rule is awful. <laughs> I, for anyone who can't see me right now, I'm hitting my head off a wall at how bad this rule is.
1: Why don't you like it?
2: Oh my god! Well, if anyone knows me and like, kind of what I've always said about football is, I hate when players can't pick a nationality. I I think that a lot of problems would be solved if when you signed your first professional contract at whatever age, what sixteen, seventeen, you stated your nationality and you were in time there. And oh my god, that's
1: but but what some people oh, signed their first not, professional contracts at like uh, what sixteen years old? Yeah, you did might you not know when you were you sixteen
2: that you were Scottish?
1: Well, of yeah. Of course you
2: did. Of course yeah. you did. Because you're not yeah. stupid when you're 16. I know you're young, but you're not stupid. But
1: it's not it's it's stupid anymore, is it? It's,
0: aden- <laughs>
2: it's, just, it's identity is, like...
0: is a lot of the problems. Like, There's be... no.
2: a lot of players well, who will...
0: Who will uh, say they'll play for one team and then they get, they get a couple of games and then suddenly they realise they're not really going to get in that team ever and they could go and play for that? Let's say you've got dual nationality, <laughs> and you're, you know, your mum is from one place, your dad's from another, <laughs> no, you're born in one, one place. But why people oh have different. Ev- not, not everyone's Bro. got a clear cut, born in Scotland, I am Scottish. Some people have, yeah, but, like, what, born in one continent and the other one's in another continent. So they, yeah, they have completely split agencies. They're not getting a and game I'll- for one of them, they can play for the other.
2: And a lot of players go, oh, I've got a Scottish granny who once drove through Dumfries and you know what, I'm not good enough to play for England but I'll hold off for a Scotland call-up. It's so insulting. Who was that? I don't want a player that does that. Oh, come on, it's happened so many times in the past. It's Danny Fox, thank you. There's so many that have ah. done that. They're not good enough for an English call-up so they hold off for a Scotland call-up because it's like... What do you think Lyndon Dykes did? did- <laughs> I mean, this is this is why we talked about it in weeks past, and I was never really too comfortable with it. And mm. like, if you're eligible, then fine. But stick to one nation. Don't. Co- I mean, it's bad enough you can switch after a friendly, but now after competitive games, that is so <laughs> insulting. Imagine we had a player who played three competitive games for Scotland, got us to like the playoffs, or even got us to the like to qualify for a tournament. Imagine a player played in the Euro Euro playoffs coming up this month and next month, qualified for Euro twenty twenty. And he just buggered off to England because they suddenly showed interest in him. I'm sorry. But yeah, no, maybe thank Scott you.
1: McTominay might have got um, stolen that way um, with the new rule change, but he's played enough games for Scotland now. Let's look at the games that are coming up um, because we've got obviously we've got Israel on the eighth of October at Hamden, so we're at home for that one. Then we're, then we've got our Nations League group, and we've got Slovakia. Um, three days after Israel, so on the on eleventh of October, and then we've we've got Czech Republic coming back, probably with a much stronger side. Um, that's on the fourteenth of October. Um, but let's let's move on from Scotland because I think Laura's head's going to explode. So fantasy football Scotland chat now. Um, a lot of moves, I think, on your side, JJ. Not this week because I did all my
0: transfers last week with a uh, not a wild card. I would used that. I, I used up lots of points. Anyway, it all paid off. My brave, brave, brave decision. What a brave boy! And it's paying off now a little bit. Get, get your defenders as captains. So captain. I think get, that's a secret.
2: So you didn't get minus points this week.
1: No, nope, because I didn't make any more transfers this week. <laughs> oh man! Well, I had a bit of a shocker. I'm I'm floating back down the league again. I'm back third. I I forgot to put. I don't. I'm pretty sure I did. Um but I'm, I'm pretty sure I I put McCrory and Devlin in my side, so that would have got me like fourteen points. Laura, how the hell did you get like seventy five points or something like that? <laughs> You're absolutely running away with it now and I'm I am sorry,
2: you for I'm just I'm just kinda good at this game. <laughs> no, I yeah. uh, I I put um I put Lauren Shankland in this week. Um, he was cheaper this week than he was at the start of the season when I made the mistake of putting an in injured Lawrence Shankland and more with the game now I uh, put him in and he scored to go for me so that was good I also put Portis on a bench because I knew he was going to concede against Celtic so I didn't lose points there
1: and you made the wise move of captaining Tavernier 20 oh, yeah. points my god I like know. I said earlier he's having, <laughs> he's having the season of his life right now probably once I again mean, a
2: penalty taking defender you, it plays for one of the old firm teams you, you can't really <laughs> <laughs> scoff at that in terms of fantasy
1: <laughs> that oh, well, is the secret
2: well,
1: I'm still going to come for you Laura I'm going <laughs> to get better at this I'm, have to, I'm have to waiting Andrew uh, yeah, yeah. well I think on that note let's call the show um, thanks for listening um, all the way through it very impressive we'll be back next week for more but until then keep listening to the little kicks because they're a great wee band and uh, keep safe and keep it totally cheerio
3: You've been listening to The Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy News Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddynewsmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network, at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta, and be sure to check out our website, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Hello, listener. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, here to tell you why you need to be listening to The Totally Football League Show. But apparently I've only got 30 seconds to do so. Reason one, we cover the most football of anyone. That's 72 clubs in total. Reason two, our panellists played actual football in the EFL. Whoa. And reason three, our music sounds like George Clooney is organising a heist. Oh, did I mention that we're now a bigger show than ever before, going out twice a week? Now that's more commitment to the EFL than even Sam Parking gave as a player. How often are the games coming, Sam? Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. That's the Totally Football League show, every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Did I do it?
1: Buddy media.